One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Even on a budget, quality is non negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello and welcome to Breaking Down Bad Books, a podcast analysing trashy bestsellers from a literary perspective. And today we're looking at chapters 19, 20 and 21 of Divergent. And we're at the halfway point. We have read half of this book and what a joy it has been. I hope you've all enjoyed it. If you're not enjoying it, well, I mean, tough tits. We'll, we'll start back on the Twilight Saga after this, but you've just got to persevere. If you really want to listen to something new, you can go to the Patreon patreon.com slash breaking down bad books. And you can listen to the 50 shades darker recaps as well as the previous coverage of 365 days. But I do hope you are enjoying Divergent. Where did we leave off? We, we have a murder mystery on our hands. The person who was coming first in the rankings, the all important rankings got murdered. Well, not so much murdered as stabbed in the eye, but that's effectively the same thing because now they're factionless. And also his girlfriend dropped out. So that really gave Al a step up because poor shit Al has been struggling. And then she went on a zip line with some of her little dauntless buddies. And then we learn that the second stage of dauntless initiation is a fear simulation. And she's apparently afraid of birds, even though she's never indicated that she's afraid of birds. She's even got a tattoo of birds on her chest symbolizing her family. And I know Dauntless like to say, oh, you tattoo something on your body, then you'll never be afraid of it. Like that's their logic. So she could theoretically be afraid of birds. But the fact that she didn't mention that when she got the tattoo and when she wanted them to represent her family flying towards a heart or some bullshit indicates to me that she's never been afraid of birds, but now she's afraid of birds. And so she's in this simulation, she's seeing birds, they're pecking at her death and she's like really good at getting out of the simulation. And now we are at chapter 19. I'm glad we're all caught up. So we start chapter 19 with her walking back into her dorm. It must be straight after her little simulation with four. And she says they're all huddled together. And Peter is reading out from a piece of paper. And he reads out, the mass exodus of the children of abnegation leaders cannot be ignored or attributed to coincidence. So he's reading a shit sheet that erudites put out against abnegation because erudite hate abnegation. And he reads, the recent transfer of Beatrice and Caleb Pryor, the children of Andrew Pryor, calls into question the soundness of abnegation's values and teachings. And I don't know if it does. You could just say the kids are more apt for other factions. It doesn't mean that the parenting of the abnegation leader has been a failure. Like that's why you have an aptitude test so that they can know what faction they're apt to belong in. It doesn't have anything to do with parenting. I think Erudite, you're stretching. And then the article, I I don't know where it's printed on. She just says it's a piece of paper. I don't know if it's a newspaper, if it's a bulletin, if it's just a leaflet, 
But the article then quotes Molly. You know that bitch Molly that's hanging out with Peter and Drew? Well, she suggests that a disturbed and abusive upbringing might be to blame. And she's quoted saying, I heard her talking in her sleep once. She was telling her father to stop doing something. I don't know what it was, but it gave her nightmares. And Tris is like, oh, so this is Molly's revenge for me beating her in the rankings. She must have talked to the erudite reporter and given them this bullshit quote. But what I don't get is Caleb, who the article is also about, is in Erudite. If they needed to quote someone, just talk to Caleb. Erudite, they need to work on their propaganda. But Triss is seething, she's so pissed off. She's thinking like, how dare they attack my father, blah, blah, blah. And she's saying to Peter, give it back, give it back, Malfoy. And he's laughing. And he's like, I'm not done yet. And he keeps reading. And he says, however, perhaps the answer lies not in a morally bereft man, but in the corrupted ideals of an entire faction. Perhaps the answer is that we have entrusted our city to a group of tyrants who do not know how to lead us out of poverty and into prosperity. Yeah, I've been saying all along, it's a bad idea to give one faction power. I'm on your side, Erudite, but I think lay off the personal attacks. And so she's trying to snatch the paper off him and he's holding it up high like, nah, 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 you can't get me. And so she's like, fine, I'll just step on your foot. So she stomps on his toes, <laughs> that old chestnut. And she's going to lunge for Molly, but Will starts pulling her off Molly. And she's like, that's my father, that's my father. And Will drags her out of the room. And she's like, what are you doing? What, you think I can't defend myself? And he says, no, it's, I'm just trying to calm you down, babe. And you know what? I've learned this from watching a lot of housewives. You don't tell someone to calm down. Nothing infuriates a person more than when you say, calm down in an argument. Like, oh, big mistake. And so she's like, calm down, calm down. That's my family they're talking about. That's my faction. Oh, no, it's not, Tris. And that's exactly what Will says. He says, no, it's not. It's your old faction. And there's nothing you can do about what they say, so you may as well ignore it. And I think Will's touched on a great point there. She's trying to snatch this paper away to like destroy the piece of paper. And I'm like, yeah, if it's a leaflet, they've handed more out, Tris. They've also distributed it to other factions, I imagine. So what can you do, bub? And she says, Will, you're not listening. They're not just insulting abnegation. They're calling for an overthrow of the entire government. Okay, good. It needs to be overthrown. I think they have a point that the stupid government run by selfless people still has an entire factionless society living in the sewers with not enough food and water and jobs. Yeah, maybe they've done a shit job. And Will's like, calm down. That's why I left Erudite. They're not revolutionaries. They're just a bit dull. They just resent abnegation. What of it? And she's like, oh no, they're bullies. They're bullying people to agree with them. I can't believe my brother joined them. Like, bitch, you join Dauntless. Leave Caleb alone. So then Christina interrupts and she's like, let's go get a tattoo. She says, it's my turn to get tattooed. I don't know why they're taking turns, but Christina feels like she's ready for a tattoo. And so Tris is like, well, I'm not going back in the dorm. Let's go. And Al's given Christina a piggyback to the salon. I think that's like Al's thing now. He just gives piggybacks. And so Christina and Tris get matching Dauntless seal tattoos. She gets hers on her shoulder and the seal is a circle with a flame inside it. She didn't get a tattoo of a seal. She's not afraid of seals. It's a seal, like a symbol. 
I don't know why I feel the need to explain that and point that out to you. But when I did first read it, I thought, oh, a seal. I thought it might have been like a dauntless mascot. Like they have like pictures of seals everywhere. But no, it's not the animal. They're talking about an insignia. Seems obvious when I'm reading it back. Oh, and Christina's also persuaded her to purchase a shirt that exposes her shoulders and collarbone and to line her eyes with black pencil again. You know what? Just say eyeliner. Just say eyeliner. You know all the names of the buildings in Chicago, in abandoned Chicago. You know all the old names. So surely you know what an eyeliner is called. So then she's making small talk with Will and he's like, oh, what was your fear? And she's like, oh, crows, of course. Like what? And he says his fear was too much acid. And she says, I don't ask what that means. I would ask, Driss. Is it acid as in like drugs? Is he, is he tripping on acid and he's having like an overdose or something? Or is it like acid, like a vat of acid boiling your skin off? I, I'd be intrigued. I'd have a follow-up question. It doesn't seem like Triss really cares that much about other people's backstory and fears though. She's not really that interested in other people. And then even though she didn't ask, Will's like, here's a little bit of erudite backstory just to explain the simulation process for you. It'll, it'll be relevant later, but let me just info dump on you right now, Triss. And he says, oh, it's basically a struggle between your thalamus, which is producing the fear, and your frontal lobe, which makes decisions. <sighs> okay. <sighs> and he says, but the simulation is all in your head. <laughs> so even though you feel like someone is doing it to you, it's just you doing it to yourself. And she's like, yeah, that's, that's interesting. But she's not interested at all. Veronica was just like, I better slip this in here to let people know that I've thought about it. Oh God, and Al's still piggybacking Christina and he almost drops her, it's hilarious. And then she's looking at Al and she says, at a glance, Al seems happy, but there is something heavy about even his smiles. I am worried about him. He's got a heavy smile. Like, I think you're reading into it. I think you just know that he's depressed because you know, you hear him crying every night and he's at the bottom of the ranking. So he's probably going to be factionless and he didn't even want to see his family. And he told you that, and then he cracked onto you and you rejected him. I think maybe that's the context that you're reading into. I don't know if his smiles look heavy. And then she spots four. He's standing by the chasm with a group of his mates around him. They're all laughing and he's holding a bottle in his hand. And she's like, oh, he's intoxicated or on his way there. And they're like, oh, there's four. Um, and they're like, oh, we shouldn't go talk to our instructors. They're scary, ha, ha, ha. But then four sees Triss and he's like, oh, Triss, come over here. And he's only talking to Triss. And Triss senses that her friends are a bit annoyed by that. She says, there are four of us and four is only talking to me. See, another example of how she's really screwed me over by naming a character four. And like in the, in the text, it's distinguishable because he's got a capital F. But when I'm reading it out, I just sound like a dickhead. There are four of us and four is only talking to me. Like that, oh God. Like just name him a freaking name. Oh God, I'm, I'm oh. And four's like, you look different. I guess because she's wearing a sleeveless top or he can see her tattoo on her shoulder. I, I, I mean, you saw her that day, four. How can she look that different? And she's smelling his breath and she's like, ooh, his breath smells thick and sharp like the factionless man's breath. So that's not very flattering for. Previously, every time she's mentioned four, she's sort of made out like he's the hottest guy alive. You know, the touch of his fingers just sends sensations down her spine. But now she's sort of implying that he's got bad breath. Like, I know it's 
alcohol breath, but still, you never want the first thing someone notices about you to be your breath. You just want people to not notice your breath at all. Like, yeah, it's nice if someone's like, oh, your breath smells nice, like minty fresh, but you know what? It's rather, I'd rather no one just ever notice my breath. And Four's like, oh, I'd ask you to hang out with us, but you're not really supposed to see me this way. And she's like, oh, I kind of want to ask what he means by that, but I kind of also suspect that it has something to do with the bottle in his hand. (laughs) And it's like, well, duh. And then what's really interesting to me is she just said, I'm tempted to ask, but I don't want to. And then she says, what way? Drunk. So she asks anyway. I'm tempted to ask. So I ask. And she's like, oh, don't worry. I won't say anything. That kind of thing. And so then, oh, hey, oh gosh. She says, nice of you. And then he puts his lips next to her ear and says, you look good, Tris. Now we're going to have to sidebar for a second because yesterday for work, I did like a workplace sexual assault harassment and bullying training, not because they forced me to, but because everybody was doing it. I don't want you to get the wrong idea about that. But we were talking about sexual assault in the workplace and abuses of power. And I hadn't thought about it in this way before, but reading that line, I was like, here's an 18 year old instructor cracking onto his 16 year old student. Like that's kind of assault, right? There's an abuse of power there. And I think it could be really creepy him leaning into her ear and whispering, you look good. And then she says, his words surprise me and my heart leaps. So, I mean, she's into it, but she's still a minor. So, you know, it's still technically creepy. And she says, I wish it didn't because judging by the way his eyes slide over mine, he has no idea what he's saying. Oh, his eyes are sliding over her. Like that could be very Kevin Spacey-ish. And then he winks at her. So I know he's cracking onto her and it's meant to be cute, but in light of my training, <laughs> I'm kind of a bit unsettled by the power dynamic that's going on here. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And also because like he's watching her fears come to life in a simulation where he has all the control. Uh, It's gross. And then Al runs over, scoops her up onto his shoulders and and he's like piggybacking her over to dinner. Al, stop with the piggyback shtick. No one wants a piggyback. And this is also awkward for Portress because, you know, Al likes her and he's like, oh, I thought I would rescue you. What was all that about? And she's like, oh, no. He's trying to sound lighthearted, but he asks the question almost sadly. So Portress has got to put up with him as well. She's just trying to do her schoolwork. She's just trying to get trained up in her field and she's got her instructor cracking onto her and her classmates cracking onto her and, and scooping her into piggybacks when she doesn't want to. Oh God, Portress. Also, there was that, that assault scene earlier on where they whipped her towel off and stared at her and the Dauntless are not a nice bunch. Maybe she should have picked abnegation. And they're all like, what did he say? And she's like, he was drunk. He didn't know what he was saying. Mm, I think he knew. I don't think he was that drunk. He's a creep. He is a creep. So then she just goes to dinner and has fun with the friends. And she fobs us off with the line being like, at home, I would normally be, you know, sitting with my mum making scarves while my dad helped Caleb with his homework. Boring. But here I'm carried around by a large boy and laughing until my stomach hurts at dinner and listening to the clamor of a hundred people all talking at once. She says, peace is restrained. This is free. Yet you're getting assaulted. 
I think go back to abnegation, be factionless. So then we go to chapter 20 and she's just waking up from another simulation. And it's four saying to her, it's just a simulation, Tris. And she's trying to breathe in and breathe out. But she's like, oh, no, this isn't this isn't right. She says the last simulation bled into my life, waking and sleeping. So she's been having nightmares of the crows, but she's also been having nightmares where she's feeling terror and helplessness. And then she's having sudden fits of terror in the shower. She's biting her nails down so far that her nail beds ache. So she's not having a nice time of it. And it doesn't sound like anybody's having a nice time of it. It's almost like confronting your fears isn't enjoyable. So then we cut to she's in a simulation. She says, the last thing I remember is the metal chair and the needle in my arm. So, yep, you're in a simulation. And she says, there's no field, there's no crows. Instead, she's on the pit floor near the chasm and all the other initiates are standing around her and their faces are blank. And she's actually in like a little mirrored box and the box starts filling up with water. And this kind of reminded me of, you know, that shitty magician movie that came out a few years ago with like Isla Fisher in it and that creepy guy from the social network. And they're all like magicians and they pull off a heist. Anyway, in that movie, Isla Fisher is in a similar like scene where she's trying to escape while shackled in in like a, a glass container filling with water. And apparently she almost died on set. The trick mechanism or something didn't do something or something or other. And she almost died. I told that story really bad, but I always think about it just from time to time. Like imagine if she died on set. It's not the first time it's happened. People die on movie sets. It's crazy. And you know what? I always thought Isla Fisher would have a bigger career than she actually has. Like I know she's done like a fair amount of movies and stuff, but when I used to watch (laughs) Scooby-Doo and she was in that, she was a star. And I was watching it. I was like a 12-year-old boy watching Scooby-Doo and I said, she's going places. And she did, but then it sort of died down. Like name one thing she's been in in the past three years. Name one. I'll wait. It just really disappoints me. I think like her agent should step up their game. And if she is in stuff, I apologize. (laughs) I assume she is still working, but I'm not seeing it. I'm not seeing it, but I see James Corden and every fucking thing that ever comes out. Oh, I hate James Corden. Oh, I hate him so much. How is he in everything? Who's his agent? Isla Fisher needs to call up his agent because he's in everything. I just wanted to watch Cinderella the other day and I couldn't bloody enjoy it. Well, one, because it was terrible, but two, because he was in it as a talking rat. And I thought, oh, the rats don't have many lines, but he, oh, he had a lot of lines, too many lines. And then I thought, you know what? I'll watch this Melissa McCarthy movie on Netflix where she's I don't know, best friends with like a Siri, some AI takes over her life or some shit and she's talking to a microwave and it's the voice of James Corden. Oh, I couldn't believe it. And even though I didn't have to see him, I still had to hear him with that terrible voice of his. Oh, I hate him so much. Where were we? So she's in a glass case filling up with water and she starts banging on it being like, let me out, let me out. And then she realizes that's not going to help. So she starts banging, banging until the glass starts to crack. And she's even thinking to herself, it's a simulation. It's all in your head. Just keep smashing that glass. And so she's pretty much fully, fully submerged, but she's kicking the glass. And then eventually it cracks and she goes sprawling out along with all the water. And then she wakes up. She's in the chair and Four's staring at her. He's like, how did you do that? And she's like, do what? And he's like, crack the glass, dummy. And she's like, I don't know. <laughs> and, okay, it's because you, you punched it. 
And then Four grabs her by the elbow and he's half dragging her out of the room and then walking quickly down the hallway. You know, that hallway where they have their little conversations. And Four, you're in a private room. If you really want to have a private conversation, just stay in the room. Why are you dragging her to a random hallway? Isn't that like less discreet? Anyway, he's like, you're divergent. <laughs> he just comes right out and says it. He says, you're divergent. And she's like, nah, and he's like, yeah, you are. I suspected it last time, but this time it's obvious. You manipulated the simulation, you're divergent. And he says, I'll delete the footage, but unless you want to wind up dead at the bottom of the chasm, you need to figure out how to hide it during the simulations. And then he leaves and goes back to the simulation room. So I find it really interesting what's going on here because it seems like they've just changed the definition of what divergent is halfway through the book. Like in the first half, we were led to believe that she's divergent because she has more than one quality in her life. She could fit into both abnegation or dullness or erudite. Like she's not just pigeonholed into one and that's what made her divergent. But now just her manipulating the simulation is enough for her to be divergent apparently. It's got nothing to do with her qualities at all. It's just to do with her like brain makeup and how she can self-actualize within a simulation. And she's thinking, oh, I didn't know that was an act of divergence to manipulate the simulation. How does he know, by the way? So now she's dropping hints that maybe four is also divergent. And if it's the case that everybody in these books are divergent, I'll be so annoyed because like, duh, duh. But also like, why are you making out like Triss is the most special, important person in the world, Veronica? And so she goes straight to Tori in the tattoo parlor. Because, you know, Tori's the one that told us she was divergent. And Tori's also the one that told us the definition of divergence being that you can fit into more than one category. But apparently she's got more information (laughs) that she didn't tell us before. And she's on board with this new definition. Because, yeah, she goes to see Tori. Tori doesn't want to talk in front of her other tattoo artist mate. So she goes to another room and then draws a curtain shut for privacy. And... Part of me is thinking, okay, a curtain isn't soundproof, love. You know, like 10 years ago, I went with a couple of friends to Morocco and our hotel room had a bathroom that was just separated by a curtain. And then there's the bed. And we were all very uncomfortable. I don't think I pooped for like five days because a curtain is not a wall. A a curtain does not a wall make. So why she thought just going into this separate little room and then drawing a curtain shut would just protect their conversation, this conversation about divergence, which is just super important to keep secret. She trusted that to a curtain, whatever, Tori. And so she says to Tori, hey, what the hell's going on with this whole divergent thing? What does it mean? What's it got to do with the simulations? And Tori's like, oh, that. Didn't think I'd bother to mention it to you last time, but... Among other things, you are someone who is aware when they are in a simulation that what they are experiencing is not real. Someone who can then manipulate the simulation or even shut it down. And then she looks into her eyes and she leans forward and she says, and also someone who, because you are also dauntless, tends to die. Now, Tori, you lost me on that point. I'm struggling to comprehend what you just said. And also, Someone who, because you are also dauntless, tends to die. I love a sentence with also in it twice. Also, also. But what I think she's trying to say is that if you're dauntless and also divergent, 
then you will most likely die because they'll find out you're divergent and they kill people who are divergent. I don't know why she had to say it cryptically, but there it is. And so Triss is like, oh, so I'm going to die then. And Tori's like, oh God, settle down. She says, the Dauntless leaders don't know about you yet. I deleted your aptitude results from the system, logged you as abnegation, blah, blah, blah. We know that. But make no mistake, if they discover what you are, they will kill you. So Tori, ugh, not a great shoulder to cry on. Not getting a lot of empathy from you, babe. And Triss is like, hmm, she doesn't look crazy, but she must be crazy. She must be unbalanced because there hasn't been a murder in our city as long as I've been alive. Get your head out of your ass, Triss. Of course there's been murders. You just don't know about them. Also, you don't know anything about any of the other factions. You don't know what's happening in Amity. It's the happy ones you've got to watch out for, like that Ted Bundy guy. Everyone thought he was a great guy, a good old pal, yucking it up with mates. Actually a serial killer. And Triss is like, ugh, you're paranoid. The leaders of the Dauntless wouldn't kill me. People don't do that. That's the whole point of all the factions. Oh, Triss, you drank the Kool-Aid, babe. You drank the Kool-Aid. And Tori's like, oh, really? Well, they got my brother. What makes you special? Well, apparently she's special because she's divergent, but your brother also was also apparently. Here I am using also twice in one sentence. So Tori says, yeah, my brother, he and I both transferred from Erudite. Oh, again, everybody's a transfer. And she says his aptitude test though was inconclusive. Mm-mm. Which also makes me think that that happens all the time. And what, are we just led to believe that someone else logged it? incorrectly, someone else covered for him in in their first aptitude test. It's such a flawed system. And she says on the last day of simulations, they found his body in the chasm, said it was a suicide. Only he was doing well in training. He was dating someone and he was happy. And she, she says, you have a brother, right? Don't you think you would know if he was suicidal? And I don't know if that's how that works. Uh, I think A lot of people hide their depression or their suicidal feelings, and it can be a shock to someone if someone commits suicide that you're close to. You don't always know what's going on in their head, but Triss full on thinks that you can. She says, I try to imagine Caleb killing himself. Even the thought sounds ridiculous to me, even though she never thought he would join Erudite and he did, but okay. And then she notices that there's a tattoo of a river on Tori's arm and she thinks, oh, maybe she got that after her brother died because rivers are now a fear of hers because he died in a river or something. And I'm like, well, (sighs) she just said that she thinks it was a fake suicide. So someone murdered him. I don't know if it's the river's fault that he died then. So I don't know why she'd be getting a tattoo of a river on it. Oh God. (sighs) The whole concept that Anyone with a tattoo in Dauntless, it must be signified to their fears. It's just beyond me. And then she lowers her voice even lower, which is good because again, they're only protected by a flimsy curtain. And she says, in the second stage of training, Georgie got really good really fast. He said the simulations weren't even scary. They were like a game. And then the instructors started taking a special interest and they all started going into the same room when he was in the simulation. And then on the last day of training, one of the dauntless leaders came in to see it for himself. And the next day, Georgie was gone. And Triss thinking, "Mm, that could, that could apply to me. I'm pretty good at the simulations. And then Triss says, how many people know about this, about manipulating the simulations? 
And Tori, oh God bless Tori, she really is the thickest one in the bunch. She says, two kinds of people, people who want you dead or people who have experienced it themselves, firsthand or secondhand, like me. That's three types of people, Tori. Two kinds of people. (laughs) People who want you dead, people who have experienced it, or people who have heard about it. (laughs) That's three, you dumb bitch. And that makes her think again, oh, does that mean four is divergent? Or was a family member divergent? A friend or a girlfriend? She's really dropping hints that four is divergent. And Tori's like, I wish I could tell you more, but I haven't figured it all out yet. All I know is that changing the simulation isn't what they care about. It's a symptom of something else, something they do care about. Okay, I don't know where you got that from. But this is all just so silly to me. Like, she was in the first simulation with you, Tori, and I don't think she manipulated that one. She just made decisions that you didn't expect. She just didn't choose a knife or a block of cheese. Like, I don't think she manipulated anything. But now all of a sudden she can manipulate the simulation and that's what Divergent is. And then Tori's like, think about it. If they've taught you how to fire a gun... Do you think they're above hurting you, above killing you? And then she says, I gotta go. Or my little tattoo mate, who's doing the tattoo in the other room behind this curtain, will start asking questions. Be careful, Tris. And that's the end of chapter 20. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. So then we go to chapter 21. And then she's in the tunnel that leads to where the net was that she jumped into on the day of the choosing ceremony. And we've had a bit of a time jump. She tells us it's been four days since she spoke to Tori. And since then, Erudite have released two more articles about abnegation, saying that abnegation are withholding luxuries like cars and fresh fruit. 
And the second article, okay, discusses the failings of choosing government officials based on their faction, asking why only people who define themselves as selfless should be in government. Great questions. Great questions. And she says it promotes a return to the democratically elected political system of the past. (laughs) Why would that be a bad thing? And she says, oh, it makes a lot of sense, which makes me suspect that it's a call for revolution wrapped in the clothing of rationality. Why? Why is it a bad thing that it's rational and makes a lot of sense? (laughs) Like, what? what? It's an article saying we should have a democratically elected society which isn't a bad thing. That's a great thing. I love democracy. Woo. And she's thinking, huh, maybe they want to change the system of government. (gasps) Maybe it's a revolutionary item. They're admitting it. They just said they wanted a democracy. So obviously they want to change from the current government system. Oh God, Tris. Tris is like, oh, I'm onto them. What? They're being very forthright. They've got great candor, if you will, even though they're erudite. So then she lies in the net and she's staring up at the sky for a little bit because she's troubled by the articles. But she's like, at least I had my friends to cheer me up. But she's like, ah, tonight I just want to be alone. I want to remember why I picked Dauntless and what inspired me to jump off the building into this net in the first place. And she tells us in the past four days, she's faced four fears. In one, she was tied to a stake. In another, she was drowning again in the middle of the ocean this time. And then in the third, she watched her family slowly bleed to death. And in the fourth, she was held at gunpoint and forced to shoot them. And she's like, now I know what fear is. And this is ultimately a pointless scene because she just says, the night sky is empty and silent. And for the first time in four days, so is my mind. And then that's it. Okay. A nice bit of introspection, I suppose. And then we cut to, she's just finished another simulation. This time she was being held at gunpoint and someone was ordering her to shoot her family. And she tells For, oh, I know it's not real. And he's like, yeah, you don't have to explain it to me. You love your family. You don't want to shoot them. Not the most unreasonable thing in the world. And then she's twisting her fingers in her hands and she's like, my nail beds are bitten raw. I've been chewing them as I sleep. Now she'd already told us that she had bitten nail beds, but chewing them in her sleep is new information. And I didn't know you could sleep bite your nails. She says she wakes to bloody hands every morning. Like, at what point do you start taking measures to prevent that? Go to bed wearing gloves. Wrap some gauze around your fingertips. Wear a Band-Aid. Like, think outside the box, Tris. She's waking up every morning with bloody hands. Maybe do something about it. She's meant to be apt for erudite, but she's not thinking outside of the box. And she asks for if he ever misses his family and he's like, nope. (laughs) And then she's like, oh, maybe he is divergent. Oh God. If this is foreshadowing for him actually being divergent, we're not going to be shocked, are we? And then she tells us how everyone else is getting really drawn out and worn down by these fear simulations, as you would be. Drew, he doesn't even sleep. He just stares at the wall curled in a ball. Al is screaming every night from his nightmares. Al, at this point, just quit and be factionless, dude. You're not gonna make it. But apparently Tris still feels strong. She says, what's wrong with me? That I wake up from everybody else's screaming at night and I feel still strong when everyone else is breaking down. Is it because I'm divergent that makes me steady or is it something else? Okay, okay, I guess I thought 
when she was telling us how she wakes up with bloody hands every morning because she's so anxious she's chewing her fingers in her sleep, I thought that was Veronica or at least Tris indicating to us that she's not feeling strong. But no, she's strong. She's telling us she's strong. Okay. So she gets back to the dorm. Everybody's standing around again, but this time it's Eric because he's got a chalkboard in his hands. And she's like, oh my God, what's going on? And like, it's, it's clearly more rankings. And she asks Will and he's like, it's rankings. And she goes, I thought there weren't any cuts after stage two. And he's like, yeah, there's not. It's just, we get rankings. That's what the whole initiation system is built around. We've had talks and talks and talks about how the ranking system works, but she's, she's flawed. She's flabbergasted. So then Eric spins around the chalkboard with a flourish, just in time for Triss's arrival, by the way. And oh my God, head spin because she's first on the list. Wow. Christina and Will are seventh and ninth and Peter is second. Remember, again, all those talks and talks and talks we've had about the ranking system. They were like, you know what? It's practically impossible to improve. You can move around maybe a little bit in the second stage, but you really can't jump ahead that much. Well, apparently she's just jumped up like seven spaces. So good job, Triss. You proved the ranking system wrong. Well, everyone's pissed off at her. Peter is not a happy chappy. Remember, it's kind of insinuated that he killed that guy. Well, stabbed that guy in the eye. We don't know for sure that Peter did it. Like, even when I was editing the last episode, I was like, oh, she did sort of drop a hint that it could have been Drew. Like, she said, oh, Drew wasn't in the room. So, it, like, it could have maybe have been Drew that stabbed that guy in the eye. We don't know for sure that it's Peter, but everyone was just acting like it's Peter. So if I were her, I'd be very worried about Peter trying to kill me. But she's, she's not really thinking about that. My first thought would be like, oh shit, now they're going to try and kill me. But she's just like, oh, I'm first, la-di-dee, la-di-da. And she just says, oh, if he hated me before, he'll definitely hate me now. Well, yeah, he might also try and stab you in the eye. Maybe sleep with one eye open. And he says to her, I will not be outranked by a stiff. How'd you do it, huh? How the hell'd you do it, huh? And she says his face is so close she can smell his stale breath. Oh God, everyone's got bad breath. So Peter pushes her up against the wall and then Will's like, hey, leave her alone. Only a coward bullies a little girl. And Peter's like, a little girl? She's fucking beating all of us. He says, are you blind or just stupid? She's going to edge you out of the rankings and out of Dauntless and you're going to get nothing all because she knows how to manipulate people and you don't. So then Peter storms out, along with Molly and Drew, who look disgusted. Like, God, guys, fuck off. Like, she beat you. Get over it. But whatever Peter said, really sunk in with the rest of the dummies. Because Will's like, is he right? Are you trying to manipulate us? It's like, well, even if she was, do you think she'd admit it? Stupid Will. And she's like, how would I even do that? And he says, I don't know, by acting weak so we pity you. And then acting tough to psych us out. And she's like, suck you out. I'm your friend. I wouldn't do that. And then Christina, little turncoat Christina, she's starting to show her true colors and she's pissed off too. Like whatever happened to being happy for your friends when they succeed? Not these guys. Uh Uh-uh. They are bitter Bettys. And Christina says, don't be an idiot, Will. She's not acting. Which also confused me because Will said, are you acting weak so we pity you? And then acting tough to psych us out. And she says, she's not acting. So, Christina, are you saying she's weak or are you saying that she's tough? Because Will sort of said both. 
But you're saying she's not, a- oh, oh God, Christina, can you just clarify, please? Like, if you're going to be a bitch and turn on your friend, can you explain yourself? But nah, Christina and Will walk out and she's left alone in the room with Al. So you're not technically alone. She says, I'm alone in the room with Al. So you're not alone. Anyway, she's with Al. So he's upset. He's looking like shit. She says his body collapses on itself like crumpled paper. And Tris is like, oh, it's, it's not too bad. You can improve your ranking if you dot, dot, dot. Oh my God. And then her voice trails off and she doesn't know what to say. Oh God, Tris, think it through before you open your mouth to speak. How embarrassing. It's not that bad. You can still, oh. And then she doesn't say anything. Like that's worse than if you didn't say anything at all. And he's like, yeah, it's not that simple. And she's like, um, so she really stepped in it. And he's like, why is it so easy for you? And she doesn't know what to say. She's just like, oh, um, I just, and it's like, oh God, Trist, just shut up and leave. You're making things worse. And so then Al starts crying and then she does leave. She says, oh, leaving him's not a good idea, but I can't stop myself. So she leaves. (laughs) I love how she just says what she's not going to do. And then she does it anyway. She does that a fair amount. And then she does make it all about herself. Cause she's like, oh God, what's wrong with me that I can't recognize what's wrong with him. Have I failed my abnegation childhood by losing the ability to know what people need? Have I lost a part of myself? Ah, uh, it's not about you. Also, you're not abnegation. You're dauntless, get over it. Oh, I'd say you're divergent. So you could also be part abnegation, but apparently divergent means something different now. So then she's sitting out in some random hallway. She's always in a hallway. It's like, I would love for Veronica to think up of another setting, but nah, it's always a hallway. And then Uriah walks past and he's like, oh, hey, Tris. And behind him are Lynn and Marlene and Lynn is holding a muffin. The staple of dauntless dining, a muffin. And Uriah's like, oh, I thought I'd find you here. I heard you got ranked first, which is also intriguing to me because I thought the Dauntless born and the transfers were all going to be ranked as one from now on. But I guess for the plot, it makes more sense for them to still be separated for this update on the rankings that we just got. And Uriah must just be really good at reading a room because he's like, oh, I figured I should congratulate you since your friends might not be so congratulatory since their ranks aren't as high. And he says, quit moping, come with us. I'm going to shoot a muffin off Marlene's head. And so she starts laughing at that. She's like, well, yeah, that sounds about right. And Uriah tells us, she bet me I couldn't aim well enough to hit a small object from 100 feet. I bet her she didn't have the guts to stand there as I tried. It works out well, really. That's what he says. It works out well. I don't think so, Uriah. I think poor Marlene has got the rough end of the stick. You've just got to shoot a gun and she's got to be in the firing line. I don't know how that's a fair matchup. So they go to the training room and she says, the training room where I first fired a gun. Like, okay, you could have just said training room. Like, oh, the, uh, well, it's where she first fired a gun. Okay, Tris. Always got to remind us about your own personal backstory to everything. Like, ugh. And she says, we get there in under a minute. I, again, like, I don't really care. I don't care how long it takes you to get somewhere. You're always in a hallway. I just assume you're always almost everywhere. Oh, and then Uriah flips on a light switch. Again. I can fill in these blanks. I'm not that bothered. I'm not going to assume you guys are just doing it in the dark. He's got to shoot a muffin off a girl's head. Of course the lights are on. Oh, and then she says, oh, it looks the same as the last time I was there. Targets at one end of the room and then a table with guns on the other. I don't, I don't care. 
And she's like, oh, are these guns just lying around? And he's like, yeah, they're not loaded. And then she turns into a bit of a perv because she says, Uriah pulls up his shirt. There's a gun stuck under the waistband of his pants, right under a tattoo. I stare at the tattoo trying to figure out what it is, but then he lets his shirt fall. Um, okay, creeper. It's sweatpants season and Triss is out to look around and do some window shopping. She's just starey Sue up in this bish, staring at Uriah's abs. Uriah does sound hot, I assume. There will be fan fiction about Triss and Uriah. And yes, I will be looking it up. If any of you actually do come across any fun, divergent fanfic, please send it through to me, breakingdownpod at gmail.com. I'm kind of keen to read some. But I don't want spoilers just yet because I really don't know much about what's happening in this series. I mean, obviously, the whole, the whole thing's a scam. There's no way that this society is actually real, right? We're all sort of suspecting that this is a long con and that the, the fence around Chicago is locking them in for a reason. Like, like c- c- come on, there's no way this is real. So I kind of suspect that, but I'm not really sure of the specifics. So if you do find fanfic, no spoilers. Anyway, back to the current chapter we're in. She's standing in front of a target and he's about to shoot a muffin off her head. And a part of me is also thinking, I thought the bet was about 100 feet. Is this room really that long? I guess it's a 100 foot room. Anyway, Marlene's like, oh, first let me eat some of the muffin because Marlene's a hoot. And he shoots the muffin off her head and then they cheer. They're like, haha, we both win the bet. And then she picks up the muffin off the ground and starts eating the muffin. And everyone's like, ew, that's gross. You're eating off the ground. Like, like, uh, like that's gross. That's what's wrong with this scenario. She almost got shot in the face. Like it wasn't a real bullet, but still, I think the three second rule applies. Anyway, this Lynn person, she's apparently ranked first, Uriah's second. And while the, the shooting of the muffin is going on, Lynn's given some backstory to Triss because oh, she's always collecting backstory. And she says, initiation is supposed to wear us down. Well, that's what Eric says. Four says it's meant to prepare them but they don't agree on much. And she again wonders what Dauntless used to be like before the, you know, the training changed, the whole culture changed, blah, blah, blah. And then speak of the devil, Four walks past. He tells them to get out of the training room. Marlene's still munching on a muffin. And then Lynn says, oh, you're not going to tell Eric about this, are you? And he says, no, I wouldn't. And then, oh God, Tris says, as I pass him, he rests his hand on the top of my back to usher me out his palm pressing between my shoulder blades. This man is a predator. I'm sorry, he's your supervisor at school. He's an adult. You're a child. I don't know how I didn't see this before. I bet everybody else already saw this. And they're probably thinking, oh yeah, classic man doesn't realize assault when it's right under his eyes. And I apologize. I think I'm learning here, but this is assault. And so then everyone's walking down the hallway. Shauna also rocked up. Remember Shauna from the zip line? She's a hoot. Anyway, Marlene starts splitting her muffin with Shauna. And I would like to know if Shauna was told that it was on the floor. Like it's all well and good for Marlene to be like, yeah, the muffin was on the floor and on my head for a little while. I guess it's grosser that it was on her head than it was on the floor. Anyway, is Marlene telling Shauna this? Or she's just like, oh, here, have some muffin. I think Shauna would like to know where the muffin's been and what it's been through. It's been shot. Like if I was going to eat some muffin and I put it in my mouth and someone says, oh, it was on my head. I'd be like, (laughs) I'd be spitting that shit out because heads are gross. It's kind of like that thing how like there's nothing grosser 
than a strand of hair that's on you that's not your own. And you're like, oh God, where, where did that come from? Whose is that? Like I found, guys, this is gross, but I found a, a, like a long hair, like a woman's blonde hair in my bathroom. And I'm like, I've been in isolation for three months and no one's visited here that's had long blonde hair. And I've barely ever run into anyone with long blonde hair. And yet there's long blonde hair in my bathroom. Like, where did it come from? Did it jump on me while I was at the shops? And, and it just like, I carried it home. Where did the long blonde hair come from, guys? So then Four pulls Triss aside and she turns toward him, wondering which version of Four she'll see. The one who scolds her or the one who climbs Ferris wheels with her. And she says, oh, the one who climbs Ferris wheels with me, as if that happens all the time. It happened once, Triss. And yet he scolds you because he's your instructor. That's the dynamic you're meant to have. And he's like, you belong here, you know that. You belong with us. It'll be over soon, so just hold on. And she's staring at him. Her heartbeat is racing. She says she can feel her heartbeat everywhere, even in her toes, which I don't think is a thing. So she reaches out and takes his hand. And his fingers slide between hers and she can't breathe. And then she pulls her hand away and then she runs after Uriah and Lynn and Marlene with the muffin. So I don't know what that was. I don't think it was a handshake because she's told us a million times that she's uncomfortable with handshakes, but apparently she's okay with a handhold. Very different thing. She's fine with that. So then she goes back to her dormitory and she's, she's pissed off at all her friends because they've abandoned her. She says, well, you know what? If I can make it through initiation, I'll be dauntless and I won't have to see them anymore. Like what? No, you'll be dauntless with them. They'll probably make it through as well and you'll, you'll be stuck with them for life. But she's just under the assumption that she won't have to see them again. I, I don't think so, Triss. And then she's like, oh, I don't need them. But do I want them? Every tattoo I got with them is a mark of our friendship. Every ta- She got two tattoos. She got two tattoos and apparently they're both a mark of her friendship with them. And no, I thought the first tattoo of the birds on your collarbone were a mark of your family that you've left behind, flying towards your heart or some bullshit. Like, oh God, no, 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 no. It signifies friendship. Whatever, Tris. Okay, things start heating up. So she can't sleep. So she thinks I'll go out of bed. I'll get a drink of water from the fountain. And then she hears voices. Well, she hears Eric's voice saying, so far, there haven't been any signs of it. And she's thinking, hmm, signs of what? And then she hears, okay, she hears a female voice, cold and familiar, but familiar like a dream, not a real person. What does that mean? Familiar like a dream, but not a real person. I don't understand that. But that voice says, well, you wouldn't have seen much of it yet. Combat training shows you nothing. The simulations, however, reveal who the divergent rebels are, if there are any. So we will have to examine the footage several times to be sure. I love that they're having this top secret meeting just in the hallway outside of the door. (laughs) <laughs> what 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 are they thinking? We know there's rooms in the compound. Go into a simulation room and have a private chat. It's just like four always bringing her into the hallway. Hallways are not secure spaces. At least have a curtain you can draw across to have a private conversation. 
that seems to be the most you can do in Dauntless. And apparently, no one knows what divergent is. It's never a word anyone has ever heard before. But Tori knows it. Four knows it. These two in the hallways are blabbing about it. (laughs) And so she's gone cold. So she's leaning against the wall, straining to see who the familiar voice belongs to. She says familiar again, even though it's not familiar like she's a real person, but like she's a dream. And so then this familiar voice says, don't forget the reason I had Max appoint you. Your first priority is always finding them, always. And he says, I won't forget. And then they walk off and she's thinking, ah, so whoever that familiar voice belongs to, she's pulling the strings. She's responsible for Eric's leadership position. So I assume this is Kate Winslet just blabbing about. I don't know why Tris thinks the voice is familiar. Not sure on that one. But while she's thinking and straining and trying to see them before they turn a corner in the pitch black hallway, someone grabs her from behind. And she starts to scream, but a hand covers her mouth and it smells like soap. And you might think that's a throwaway comment, but it's actually a clue to the person's identity. So think about it for a few seconds. Because only one person she knows of smells of soap, apparently. And so she's thrashing about and she's biting down on fingers and someone goes, ow, because of the hand covering her mouth. And then someone says, shut up and keep her mouth covered. And that voice is higher than the average male's and clearer. And so she says, well, that's Peter because he's got the high voice. Did we know Peter had a high voice? Higher than the average males. I think I take offense to that. But like, okay, so she didn't scream out because a hand covered her mouth, but there was a scuffle. There's someone shouting out, ow. And then this really high male voice saying, shut up and keep her mouth covered. How's Kate Winslet and Eric not heard this? She just heard their little hushed conversation in the hallway. And then a second later, there's this big kerfuffle and they're just like, la-da-dee, la-da-da, walking along the halls, having their private conversation without even a privacy curtain drawn around them. How are they not hearing this and going, oh, what's going on? But no, they don't hear it. She's getting dragged by three people she feels. She gets blindfolded and she's only sure of Peter's identity at the moment. And Peter's like, come on, wonder what it sounds like when a stiff begs for mercy. I I imagine it's... Sounds like what anyone else would sound like begging for mercy. What's her being a stiff got to do with it? And because Tris thinks she's in a mystery novel, she's like, you know what? Instead of thrashing about, I should focus on the hand on my mouth. There must be something distinct about it that will make him easier to identify. His identity is a problem I can solve. Uh, you know what? You could thrash a bit more and try and get out of the headlock. But now she's like, soap. Who smells like soap? (laughs) And she says, the soap smell is familiar, but she doesn't specify if it's dream familiar or real life familiar. She just says familiar. And she goes, hmm, lemongrass, sage. (gasps) That's the same smell that surrounds Al's bunk. How aren't they all using the same soap? That's my question. But apparently Al has his own little special soap and that's fancy soap. And she's like, oh my God, it's Al. And you know what? I was a bit shocked. Veronica got me there. But it also makes sense. Al's at the bottom of the leaderboard. You want to kill the people up the top so he can survive longer. Maybe Al stabbed the guy in the eye. I don't know. It probably still was Peter. But either way, Al's being a huge see you next Tuesday and betraying his friend. God, you're a piece of shit, Al. 
And like, even if you do kill Triss, you're still at the bottom of the leaderboard, the very bottom of the bottom. You're going to have to kill a lot more people in order to graduate. I don't think you're engaging long-term thinking here, Al. Anyway, they're carrying her to the chasm. And she's like, oh no, the chasm. They're going to think I committed suicide. You know, that's the, that's the way it is. But this also makes me think, hey, Tori, are you sure the leaders killed your brother? It could have just been a similar situation where his little class buddies killed him because that seems to happen a lot as well. So they're trying to throw her over the railing. She's thrashing, she's thrashing. She can feel the mist from the river touching her ankles. And then, oh, she starts getting groped. Someone says, you sure you're 16 stiff? Doesn't feel like you're more than 12. And then the other boys laugh. Ugh. This poor bitch is just getting assaulted left and right. And then one of them says, wait, I think I found something. And his hand squeezes her. Uh, And then there's more laughter. Pieces of shit. I hope she kills them. Like she may as well. Peter's, Peter's got it out for you. You may as well at least tell on him. At least tell on him. Or just kill him. Everyone else is killing everyone else. Just kill him. But apparently this last squeeze, I don't know if it was on her lower part region or her upper part region, but apparently that last squeeze did, I don't know, strike a chord with Al and inspire him to not be a complete asshole. And he said, hey guys, stop that. Even though he was just laughing about it a second earlier and he's carrying her to throw her over a railing, apparently he's not a bad guy because he said stop. What a piece of shit. And she's like, ah, it is Al. His voice confirms it. I thought the lemongrass soap confirmed it, but his voice confirms it. So she's thrashing. She's biting on whatever arm she can bite on. And they're still throwing her over the railing. It seems that she's being thrown over this railing for a long, long time. I don't quite understand why it's taking them so long. But there seems to be a lot of kicking going on, slapping going on. Like, guys. It's three against one. Just throw her over the fucking railing already. What are you doing here? And then Peter's choking her at some point. And then she sees someone running towards her and then someone also running away who she suspects is Al. And so Peter's just full choking her out. And then she hears a shout and Peter lets her go. So then she falls down, but she catches the railing with her armpit. So she doesn't fall into the chasm, but she's about to pass out because she was just getting choked out. And then she hears someone, Drew, screaming. So she's figured it out. She's Nancy Drew'd it. And she's like, oh, it's Peter, Drew and Al. Like, I think it was pretty obvious that it was Peter and Drew. It's just Al that's the shock. And again, priorities. You can identify them later. Just maybe don't die. But then she sees her savior. And it's the only face she can see. It's contorted with anger. And his eyes are dark blue. And she's like, oh, it's four. Again, another mystery solved. Four saved her. And so Four pulls her over the railing against his chest, gathers her up, and she presses her face into his shoulder, and there is a sudden hollow silence. So I guess she passes out. And that's the end of that chapter. So a bit of drama, a bit of backstabbing, and a bit of the wider conspiracy with Kate Winslet hunting down the divergence. So overall, I think this was kind of a a good bit of progress. Even though we've redefined what Divergent is, I feel like we're moving in the right direction. I'm still team erudite. Yeah, overthrow the government. Why not? Democracy, it's not a bad thing when it's done right. Like it's so wild to me that a teenage YA dystopian fiction 
is advocating against democracy. It does seem sort of the other way around, which sort of again confirms my suspicion that Veronica Roth didn't really think about it before writing it, but she wrote it. She got it on the page and good for her. So as always, reach out to me with any theories, fanfic, join the Patreon at patreon.com slash breakingdownbadbooks. Leave a rating and a review if you haven't already, and I'll see you guys next week. Bye. Send your burning thoughts, frustrations, and grievances on this latest chapter of this shitty book to breakingdownpod at gmail.com or on Twitter at podbreakingdown and Instagram at breakingdownbadbooks. You can visit www.breakingdownbadbooks.com for all the listen links, contact information, merch, and more. To support the show on Patreon and gain access to exclusive ad-free bonus episodes, visit patreon.com slash breakingdownbadbooks. Ratings and reviews on your preferred podcast platform are also a fun, free way to support the show. Breaking Down Bad Books is hosted by me, Nathan Brown, who you can follow on Instagram and Twitter at NathanBrown90. Thanks for listening and happy reading. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win, and support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc., Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.